welcome to Manufacturing Tech Australia with Shane Williams and Paul Mason, where they share the latest manufacturing and tech news and explore innovative solutions to help you improve your business. Sometimes the questions are complicated and the answers are simple. A fairly profound quote for a Dr. Seuss book, don't you think? You're listening to Manufacturing Tech Australia with Shane Williams and Paul Mason. In the world of manufacturing, productivity is a complex challenge but it can often be addressed with simple solutions. Today's guest is Ishan Galapathy, an expert and author in the area of manufacturing productivity. Ishan is a Six Sigma black belt with a master's degree in a business administration and a bachelor's in mechatronics, who honed his skills in process engineering and continuous improvement, working with many well-known global brands. We discuss the challenges facing Australian manufacturing, the keys to success in productivity, the misconceptions of technology as a silver bullet, and some practical tips for boosting efficiency and morale on the shop floor. I know you'll enjoy this interview. So Ishan, thanks for joining us on Manufacturing Tech Australia. You're very welcome, Shane. Great to be here. And uh, with what's happened over the last uh, two or three years, people at least know what manufacturing and supply chain is now, right? Because if those things don't work, we think we run out of toilet paper. It's great times because the spotlight is on supply chain and manufacturing, and we can actually have a good conversation with everyday people about it and the importance of it. Absolutely. And so to that vein, let's crack in. As Paul and I are technologists in, in the manufacturing space, and we often get asked things like, what tech should I buy? And these sorts of questions. I think fundamentally, a lot of what Paul and I do is asking the underlying question, which is, are you ready? In that regard, I'd love to get your sense of what do you believe are some of the biggest challenges facing Australian manufacturers when it comes to adopting technology and how can they overcome them? If we take a few steps back and we look at Australian manufacturing just for a moment over the last few decades, right? Now, Australia is known in its heyday in post-Second World War, the lucky country, and a lot of it was backed up by immigrants, but also the manufacturing sector your listeners would know that in its heyday, manufacturing contributed towards approximately, I think, 30% or more towards the GDP of Australia. And I wonder whether the listeners would know what the GDP contribution today is. When I wrote my latest book, Advanced, a couple of years ago, I was doing this research and it was hovering around the 5.6, disappointing and yeah, 5.6. And I was just looking at some numbers recently and it's moved up to about 5.8 now. But nevertheless, when you look over three or four decades, we can see that the whole of manufacturing sector is coming down. To come back to your question, what are the issues we are facing right now? From a tech perspective, Paul and Shane, I think there's an appetite to just implement tech for the tech's sake. I think there are a lot of general managers or operations managers and directors who attend breakfast seminars or conferences. And we talk about this industry for, and, you know, we want to have the smart factories. And absolutely, these are trends and tools we need to implement and adopt. But I think you mentioned something, Shane, that it all needs to come at the right time. What COVID has shown us, particularly from this perspective, is that the gap has widened where people are implementing software and tools and technology and all of it but the actual productivity isn't coming through so that gap has widened along with we all know there's a massive labor shortage given what's happening around the global context right the war in ukraine and all of that i think we have lesser supplier base 
So we put all of that into the mix. I think, unfortunately, manufacturers are in a very tight market, despite the fact that it's a growing market and there are some good signs. Absolutely, Ashana. And I've worked with many businesses, I'm sure you have as well, where they've been sort of in the throes of an industry 4.0 related implementation. And we're actually a bit unclear on why they were doing it and, and what they were going to get out of it. So I think it's really important that businesses first look at their overall business strategy, then what does their technology strategy look like to support that? And then what's the actual tech to deliver a solution that that fixes business problems or leverages some opportunities in the business? Yeah, absolutely. One of my favorite things is that we keep implementing technology as a solution, looking for a problem, 100% aligned with what you just said. The Now, I don't want to sound like I'm an anti-technology or anti-software or industry for. I studied mechatronics engineering at UNSW and I'm all for that. But the point here is it needs to come at the right time to support your growth, but also being very mindful of what is the problem we are trying to solve. Because with Industry 4 or with any of the technology, what we get is a lot of data. We get a lot of data and we get a lot of information about what's happening in the business. What's lacking though is how we use that data to draw insight. Data rich and insight poor is what I see. And the other thing is, how do we leverage that data to actually solve the issues that we see within the business? So if typically in manufacturing, and I normally go and ask a business, like, do you know what your top three waste products are? Do you know your top performing products from a manufacturing efficiency perspective? Would you know what the biggest downtime causes are? And I get blank looks, right? They can show me graphs and trends and all of that, but they don't know how to use the information we've got because more and more sensors and technology just gives us a lot of information that we essentially get paralyzed when we look at it. Capability within to understand and draw good business insights and capability to do some good structured problem solving so that we can solve these issues and shift manufacturing performance to improve the efficiency and improve the profitability is the way it should go. But what I see is far from it, right? People are relying on technology, but the actual overall business capability is not growing with it. And this is proven with the intergenerational report that the Australian government produced. I think it was in the early 2021, I believe. And in that report, it shows that over the past four to five decades, our overall output has quadrupled, but the actual labor productivity is trailing below a 30-year average. So let me say that again. Our output has quadrupled over the last four decades across Australia, but the labor productivity is trailing below a 30-year average. And I would like to ask the question why, and I think we've just discussed some of the points below. But if you're listening to this, I'd like to just reflect on that and ask yourself, is that a true picture in your organization as well? And you touched on data and insights that businesses can gain from that data. And I think that's something that businesses do struggle with. So I think it is really important that, that businesses take the time to understand what are those key metrics that that they need to monitor and report on. And maybe starting with writing some down on paper or whiteboards then maybe later use the technology to help automate that function to make things easier. You know, 
reporting on HACCP or ISO or quality audits and things like that. But also on the data side, and not just in the manufacturing area, what can businesses analyze in terms of the sales data, marketing, or customer data to, to really look at what are those customer insights that they can use to better deliver what the customer wants? So I think we've looked at some of those issues, but Ishan, you've worked with a bunch of companies across Asia Pacific and across the globe. So I'm interested to hear what's an example of a great business. What does that look like? Yeah, absolutely, Paul. And in my corporate days, I was working for multinational FMCG companies and I've had the luxury and the privilege to travel around the globe and see some of the best. So some of these concepts that I talk about are not utopian. There are companies who have actually achieved the systems and the processes um, in their businesses to a level of maturity that are then recognized through global awards. So Gartner is one of those global organizations that provides a global top 25 supply chain awards. Of course, it is for the big boys, right? So you see all the the well-known global companies. But the method Gartner uses is exactly the things that we're talking about, you know, operational excellence. How are these organizations moving forward? Over the last eight years, I've basically been helping a lot of manufacturing businesses and guiding them to adopt some of those multinational concepts. What I see as the gap between the mindset of those multinational businesses or the big boys, as I say, and the mid-tier businesses is huge. These concepts and processes aren't complicated. I think we naturally have a tendency to somehow make these things overly complex and complicated. So I tend to simplify everything and say, look, this is easy, simple, but it's effective and let's put these systems in place and help you to shift performance. So I can give you a couple of examples. One, what I would classify as a mid-tier FMCG business and a large organization that I'm currently working with. So the mid-tier business, FMCG, manufacturing food product, and um, they have been growing rapidly over the last five years. And the problem is when you see a top line growth, the complexity within grows much faster than the top line, which is exactly what this company was faced with. A few manufacturing sites across the key states. And guess what? So they're running out of space in the, in the factory. People are metaphorically climbing over things and falling over each other. And it's not great for the people working, but it's great for the business because they're seeing these top line growth but the frustration is that they can't keep the customer promises right so your delivery in full starts to fall down your consumer complaints start to go up and your expenses in expediting raw materials or things for maintenance go up and then it gets into this vortex of so much firefighting that all the senior leaders gets sucked into this vortex. And a couple of things I did, and this is normally how I start with working with organizations. Over a three-month period, we pick two constraint points. And the thing that we need to understand is when you're trying to improve a business, it's not something you do for the people. It's something you need to do with the people. So I build the capability within the organization and walk through like a 10-week process of here's how to solve 
the problem of those two areas. One was in their processing. There was some sugar glazing that was happening. We looked at that issue. And the other issue we looked at was how do we improve the packaging and shipping department from a productivity perspective. Within three months, they were able to identify a lot of waste in the sugar they were using simply because the operators didn't know some of the systems or the parameters. They didn't know when to mix the next mix. So there was a lot of sugar mixes that were just left at the end of the shift that just got dumped. But just by working through and giving the the right tools, and a lot of these tools are quite simple, operators are given the understanding, the capability, and the accountability to manage that specific process. And the result of that was happier operators, happier managers, and obviously happier business owners, right? Because they have accounted the savings to be in six figures just for that alone. When we then moved into the packaging area, the shipping department, you look at the way they were packaging and literally it just did not make sense. So we worked through the process again and they were able to come up with a better layout. And this is what I love is it's not me coming in to give you the magic solutions. It's me giving the people the process and the structure and enabling the people to solve the problems the way I see it as well. And I think that's the key difference. Because if I solve the problem for them, the company would never let me go because they need me to continue to solving their problems, but I build the capability and they can continue that success. So those two issues alone, yeah, multiples of six-figure savings, right? All in the space of three to four months. But what that provides is a framework that people then believe that, yes, we can do this. So that just brings the water level from above the nose to slightly below the nose so that we've got that breathing capacity to then start a conversation around, okay, look, that was a demonstration or a proof of concept. Let's then work towards a total transformation right throughout the organization. I mentioned that I'm working with a large company as well. The approach is very similar, except the fact that I'm working on the whole transformation itself, a bigger commitment from both parties. But what I'm seeing, though, is exactly the same, irrespective of the size of the organization, is that when you engage the people on the shop floor, you talk to them about what is frustrating them, and we collectively identify what are the issues for those frustrations. And if we remove those roadblocks, guess what? Productivity improves, waste comes down, and profitability improves. If you ask what's my secret ingredient or secret recipe, this is the key success factor. That's how I've helped many organizations over the last 25 years. Mate, there's some pretty impressive results. And I imagine there's some listeners here going, I can identify with that. That feels totally tangible and within the reach of our organization too. You've talked about a few of these, but I'd love to know more. We're talking about now that we've done our process improvement as a foundational level to then adopt the technologies in order to be successful. Have you got some experience or could you share some experiences around some of the mistakes that you see SME manufacturers make when they're trying to prioritize process efficiency alongside tech adoption? Yeah, absolutely. I remember this client, I was on the site and it was like, Ishan, come over, let's go to the factory. We want to show you our new Industry 4 project. So we were on the shop floor and he was just showing me 
an upgrade that they have done to a packaging machine. It had a lovely color HDMI screen, the, the interactive screen for the operator, right? And it was showing, look, it can give us all the information and it can give us all the instantaneous productivity and the stoppages and all of it. Great. I said, just quietly, it's not in an industry four upgrade. It's an industry 3.0 upgrade because all you've done is automate the manual process that you have. Yes, it has got the functionality to connect and give you the insights, but guess what? It's not connected because they don't have the capacity because some of these factories are concrete dungeons built 40 years ago and they're struggling to get signals and whatnot. The mindset of... We're trying to put something that can give us this, but they haven't thought through as to how they can leverage. I think we mentioned this earlier in the podcast. And another point is using technology as a silver bullet, right? When we write business cases, I think we are extremely optimistic as to how these solutions will help us improve the bottom line. And sometimes it goes against that because we haven't either trained people on how to use the technology. And some of these automated machines are less forgiving than the manual system. That's some really interesting examples of how businesses have adopted or at least assumed that technology is the silver bullet to a problem. But if we take a step back, I often find when I'm engaged later in a technology investment process it's typically we've been through a process we've bought something and now we need your help to implement and the first question i'm tending to ask is what work did you do prior to this to determine it's the right solution have you thought about the broader impact on your business and so on and so forth um, i imagine in your work you've probably come across similar challenges right and i'm just curious in terms of some of the mistakes you've seen people make have you got any classic examples that people listening might say, you know what, geez, you're right, we're almost headed down the same path and we should just you know, pump the brakes a bit? If it is a small business, we're talking to business owners who are protecting their business like their own children, right? So you've got to navigate very carefully, but nevertheless, show how they can get better asset utilization from their business, which is where I come in, right? No matter where they are and what decisions they have made, all I do know for a fact is that there's perhaps 20, even 30% hidden capacity that they can tap into by using the systems processes. We call it operational excellence, and that's the fancier term. By using these concepts, they get that free hit, and that's my expertise. But when it comes to thinking about where the business needs to be three years ahead, we call that strategy development. That's not my expertise, and often if you're a SME or a mid-tier business, I always ask the question, do you have an advisory board? If you don't have an advisory board guiding you as a small mid-tier and small businesses, it's a very lonely position when you're leading businesses. Highly recommend it um, that you get some good advice, not just as a one-off, but who can partner with you over a long period of time to guide you and walk alongside with you to direct you in the right direction. I'm the person then basically comes in to help you implement um, those strategies and get the rubber hit the, the road, as they say, but doing that with ease and doing that in a fun, engaging way. And you touched on operational excellence. We often look at people, process, technology as one framework for operational excellence, but I think the people element, it's highly underrated and often forgotten in many businesses. I think one of the reasons we have issues with labor and skill shortages today is because we have this culture in Australia to poach or to recruit talent rather than to build it up internally and grow our own team members. So 
I think there's some great tips from you there on the people component, Ishan. But for those businesses out there looking to make their own improvements and not sure where to start, what would you recommend? Here are some easy, easy tips. Solve the right problems. Now, there are many structured problem-solving methodologies, courses. They all work. Just pick one, stay with it. The magic is not in the tool. The magic is actually using those tools. So um, develop the, this capability within your business so that at least a few people are able to solve problems through a structured approach and solve the right problems. What I mean by that is find the right constraints, find the right issues to improve efficiency. So for example, if your strategic plan is to grow a certain category of products over the next year, then make sure that category is actually profitable. Even if it is profitable, see if you can sharpen it even more. Run specific problem-solving sessions, how to improve efficiencies, how to improve downtime, how to reduce your waste, how to improve change over time. By doing that, what you'll find is then you're solving the right problem, so you're going to improve the profitability, right? If you're planning to sell more of those products. So tip number one, improve your problem solving capability. The second point is make sure you have effective huddle meetings. Now, whether it is on a shift basis or a daily basis or a weekly basis, they all vary depending on the complexity and the size of the business you're in. If you're a manufacturing business, having a daily huddle, a daily pulse check is mandatory. We all heard of or seen. This doesn't need to be fancy, digitally driven dashboards. It can be. There are many solutions, again, that we can leverage. It's not the magic of the tool. It's the effectiveness of the process. So have an effective huddle meeting. doesn't need to be anything more than 20, 25 minutes, 30 minutes tops, where we go through, review the last 24 hours, and then, more importantly, we explore what the next 24 hours need to be in order to make sure that we are winning. Which orders needs to be expedited? Which problems do we need to solve in the next 24 hours? And how do we help our people in the shop floor to be less frustrated today? Let's make those decisions once and let's just leave the people alone to go and do the good work they do. The, the second tip is have effective huddle meetings. The last one is the capability of those frontline leaders. So whether they're shift supervisors or your team leaders or production managers, the terminology changes depending on the organization, but they are the first line managers or the leaders leading the shop floor. What we do know is that there's a scarcity of operators. There was always a scarcity of good people. There's just a scarcity of people now, right? We are all fishing from the same pond and there aren't any fish, right? Due to various reasons over the last two years, the labor market has shrunk. So we don't have enough people. So you've got to get the best of the team we've got, and guess what? That all falls onto our frontline leaders. Give these frontline leaders some basic leadership training so that they can lead the people and get the best of the teams we've got. I think they're very practical. You can work on these right now, today, next week, and you will see that it's giving you, it, it's unlocking those hidden capacity that you didn't know existed or perhaps you knew it existed but you didn't know how to unlock mate i think you're being a bit humble I mean, those are obviously really great 
immediate next steps that people can take. Earlier on in our conversation, you alluded to this book that you published a couple of years ago. And I think for those listening, the name of the book is Advanced, 12 Essential Elements to Supercharge Productivity and Profitability. I quite enjoyed the book and stepping into the manufacturing space, I found it really insightful. Tell us about what the book's about, what they're going to get out of it and how they can get their hands on it. Thank you, Shane and Paul. Yeah, so this is my latest book, Advance. It's a paint-by-numbers framework. So if you want to have a crack at doing this yourselves, absolutely. There are enough steps in there to talk you through all the 12 elements. So it's plug and play. Find the missing gaps in your system. Find the ones that are going to help you right now, today, and just implement what's in that chapter. If you want to read a little bit more, you can go to advancedbook.com.au and there's a link there for you to download a free PDF where I give you full insights of the entire book. You can buy it from Booktopia or you can buy it through my website. But don't buy the book, just get the free PDF and see if this approach is right for you. I'm biased. I think all manufacturers can benefit from this, but I'd like you to be the judge of that. Thanks for your time today. And thanks for sharing some of your experiences and thoughts with us and the audience. I think the people listening will definitely get a lot out of today. So thanks again, and we'll talk soon. Absolutely. I've just enjoyed this conversation. So thank you, Shane. And thank you, Paul. Look, manufacturing and improving manufacturing is not hard. We've just made this overly complicated. If we find ways to engage and involve the people that matter, and they are the people on the shop floor, we can shift and get manufacturing back on track to where it needs to be to support Australia in a larger scale. So thank you. Thanks again, Ishan. Bye for now. Thanks for tuning in to Manufacturing Tech Australia with Shane and Paul, recorded on the traditional lands of the Bunurong and Wurundjeri people. For more information, jump on the manufacturingtech.au website. Remember to hit the follow button to join us again next time as we continue to explore the intersection of manufacturing and technology.